Hello and welcome to Seen Anything Good Lately, the podcast everyone talks about when they're talking about what they're watching. I'm Jason Solomons and if you need new ideas for films, series and TV shows, you're in the right place because this is where the professionals tell us their inspirations. Oh, it's a very special day in Italian. It's called uh, Una Giornata Particolare, which is beautiful. I like a bit of CNN. I like to see what Don Lemon's saying. Before always... I go to bed, I want to be soothed through some partisan rhetoric, and I love <laughs> Don Lemon for it. My guests today are Oscar nominee Vigo Mortensen, who's making his directing debut with a film called Falling, and the British actress Ashley Madekwe, star of Umbrella Academy and hard-hitting new British film County Lines. They both have great film stories to share and some top tips for viewing. So we'll hear more from Vigo and Ashley right after I tell you if I've seen anything good lately. How good was Lover's Rock? I'm talking about Steve McQueen's second instalment in the Small Axe series, a beautiful follow-up for series opener Mangrove, which we featured in the last episode of Seen Anything Good Lately with actor Sean Parks. Catch up with that one. Set over one heady night, Lover's Rock follows a young woman, uh, played by Amara Jason Orbin, sneaking out of her bedroom window, just as in a large West London house that's divided up into, you know, several flats with one of those payphones in the hallway. Um, carpets are being rolled up, sofas moved into the garden, there's cooking in a kitchen and a sound system being set up in the main room. That's where they're all headed to this house party and as soon as the music starts, the party's underway with some disco, there's a formation dance to kung fu fighting and then the whole place is swaying and singing. Our girl Martha is being charmed by the handsome Frank, played by Michael Ward, and their hips unite to Janet Kaye's silly games. The viewer joins in, carried away by a tide of sounds and pungent smoke. In this lockdown, I swear, it's the best night out you could possibly have. It feels like you're there, in the room, hitting that high note with them all. It's a communal, spiritual experience. I love how Steve McQueen is so masterfully in control here. He's happy to drift on the music, but he's always knowing where this film is going, what these characters are going to do, what moves and what looks they'll make right up to the film's punchline at the end. I love the mix of London accents and Caribbean patois, and they mix up the heritage, usually in the same sentence. I thought that was beautifully done. Later, the party does get a bit heavier and dubbier, as parties tend to do. The drunk guys take over the floor, the rude boys coming in, and it gets tense and intense to Kunta Kinte. fight is coming you feel it someone took someone else's drink a bottle of Mackerson someone's got a knife but maybe not maybe our lovers can rise above it soar like the morning birds light is creeping in time to creep home it's fabulous breathless beautiful a film just like a dream 
Keep watching Small Axe, BBC One, Sunday nights. It's not a series as such, not connected characters, but it's all part of this British black experience. We've had Mangrove and Lovers Rock. There's more to come. Red, White and Blue with John Boyega pretty soon. That's amazing. The whole thing is just monumental. Time to meet my first guest this week. He's Vigo Mortensen probably best known for Lord of the Rings still, although I always prefer to think of him in David Cronenberg's superb films, Eastern Promises and The History of Violence, or as Captain Fantastic, or more recently as the driver in Green Book, which won an Oscar, of course. Now he's making his debut as a director with a very personal film called Falling, about a man having to look after his irascible father who's got dementia. The film flashes back to childhood moments of tenderness and violence, and there are some very strong performances throughout from Vigo himself and from veteran actor Lance Erickson as the raging grandpa. You want to take advantage because you think I've lost my marbles. But I didn't. I want to tell you something. When a guy my age thinks he has to pee, he already did. Dad, stop. But. Now, Lance Erickson's appeared in countless films, some good, including Aliens and Near Dark, uh, many not so good, but he's a revelation here, albeit a nasty one. Before me and Vigo got talking about uh, Vigo's own career and his film influences, I asked him about making his debut with Falling and the cast he chose to work with. I just suddenly thought, Lance Henriksen, he would be great. I mean, he hasn't done this kind of role, but... He, he's shown that he obviously has the ability, presence, everything for this role. He's the right age. He would be a, a, an incredible Willis, I think. I think he could do something special. I hope he likes this script. And, and he did want to do it. But I have to say, as, as much as I always believed he would do something surprising and special and just completely different than what you're used to seeing, what he did was far more than I dreamed of. Yeah. It, was brave. it was braver. It was more complex emotionally more complex it was more profound and just even the way he listened and the way he went in and out of different states how he interacted with the other people listen Sveria uh goodness and the 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 guy who plays your dad as a young man again a fantastic performance i i'd only seen him previously as borg beyond borg uh in in borg versus macaron which he was great and intense he came on my radio show here in london and we dressed in tennis outfits (laughs) he was yeah he was he was great fun it was my girlfriend who came home one day and she knew I was you know in the process of looking for this character she goes I just saw a movie that you need to go see and it was Borg McEnroe there's an actor in it who he seems like he could be related to you there's something about his what he gives off as an actor the way he moves there's something it's not really exactly that he looks like you but there's something about him that reminds me of you as an actor and as a person I said okay Uh, so I ran out to see the next session and he was amazing and knowing Bjornborg inside and out as I did, I thought the way he speaks Swedish, the way he speaks English, the way he walks, the way he looks, but especially the way he plays tennis, it's perfect. It's, it's an amazing incarnation. And so I finally got a hold of his number, it was agent or somebody, and we ended up talking. I wanted to see how his English was, you know, because if he has to play the younger Lance, he has to sound like Lance. And so we're talking on the phone and he had a very strong Scandinavian accent. You know, he's from Iceland. Icelandic citizen, lives in Sweden. So we were just 
was making small talk. I said, well, like, you were wonderful in that movie. It's Bjorn Borg. And I told him, you know, a little bit what I've told you. And, and I said, well, did you play, I mean, did you play professionally or just amateur tennis? Or, I mean, you know, and he said, no, I didn't really play tennis before the movie. I said, and I thought, that's incredible. Well, if he can do that, I thought, he can probably learn to be Willis. <laughs> And so we started working. I said, well, you know, speech-wise, he goes, yes, that's the main concern. I said, yeah. I said, well, we'll work on it. He says, yeah, as long as I have time. And we did. We worked on it via Skype a lot. And then the best thing we did is he came over and met me and we went to see Lance at his house in California. And we spent a long time together reading all the scenes and they would read each other's scenes. And I read all the other parts. And, and I started to see this fusion starting to happen. They were already looking at each other and finding things in common so that they could essentially be one person over time. And uh, he's, a, he's an amazing actor. Oh, he did a great job. I mean, as I remember him, his, his accent was, was pretty strong, but in, in your film, it disappeared perfectly. And anyway, there's that, there's that wonderful tradition of, uh, of, of Nordic uh, American settlers anyway. In fact, I was watching, uh, reminded of this, this only the other day, I was watching one of my favorite films of all time, which is Peter Weir's witness and I'd forgotten that you were in you were in that and there you are popping up on the screen young as anything that was 1985 what a fresh face you had there sir it was a great experience I, I really went there for just a day's work I'd been cast the same I lived in New York City at the time I'd been cast in a play uh, Shakespeare in the Park I think it was Henry the Henry V. And um, and the same day I was offered this part, you know, it's one of these meetings that you have as an actor when directors come through, film directors in New York. Maybe it happens more now, but back then it was rare. That, and so I'd been put on tape or something for that, and I'd forgotten about it. And my agent said, well, you've also been offered a role in Peter Weir's movie. I go, oh, really? The one about the Amish? And he goes, yeah. He said, you know, it's one day of work or a half day's work, really. You should do that. And I said, well, no, I should do the play because that's all summer. He goes, it's not very often that Peter Weir comes through New York and casts someone like you. So you should do that. You can always do a play. You live in New York. And I said, okay. You know, did this day's work. It was just walking the initial sequence, walking across the field, going to the funeral, and then the chit-chat at the coffee after the funeral. And I just had a line I think I had one line in that Amish German dialect. And then when I'm having lunch, I was done. Peter Weir comes over to the table where I'm sitting some extras. And I thought, oh, fuck, what have I done wrong? And he looks at me, he goes, may I have a word? And I said, sure. So we go outside the tent and he says, what are you doing for the next six weeks? And I said, uh, uh, and I thought in my mind, I could be doing a fucking play. But <laughs> I said, well, nothing really. And he said, just going back to New York today, I guess. And he goes, well, if you'd like to stay, um, we're going to give... Alexander Goodenough, the, the rival with Harrison Ford for Kelly McGillis's affections in that story, um, we're going to give him a younger brother. I said, oh, and what does he do? He says, well, he just tags along. He's another witness in this story of what's happening, this budding romance between this detective from Philadelphia and this Amish woman, um, your brother's girlfriend, and you're sort of watching that. And, you know, Every once in a while, you might have something to say. I'm not sure yet, but you're going to, that's what you would do. I said, fine. And I didn't work very often, but I was always welcome. So I went to the set every day and watched. And when I say the wrong idea about how movies are made, it was so tranquil. It was so efficient. No yelling. I bet the falling was. It seems like it was pretty zen and calm. I mean, you it, was. Know. it was. I mean, I learned from people like Peter Weir and from people, you know, David Cronenberg, Jane Camp, you know, so many good examples of, you know, you can never prepare enough or early enough for a shoot. You can never have too open a line of communication with your crew and your cast. These people will help you make a better story than anything you could have imagined. A good idea can come from anywhere, mm. from anyone at any time. And so those those were the examples I fortunately have had, you know, the best 
the best directors I've worked with. And yeah, we did have a harmonious shoot. It was difficult material sometimes, difficult conditions shooting in winter, but um, it was it was a wonderful yeah. experience. Have you seen anything good lately, Vigo? What are you watching at the moment? You know, mostly I've been watching you know, during the lockdown. I was just watching movies I hadn't seen for, for years and watching them again, sometimes liking them as much or more, often not liking them as much or mm. finding not as well shot as I remembered or as edited or acted or anything. Sort of reviewing things. <laughs> And um, and then once the lockdown ended, I started going to see what I could see, you know, um, in the movie theater. There's nothing like that experience of going yeah. and the what, go what did down. you what did you see? What did you go back and have a look at again? Uh, I've seen some Spanish movies that you wouldn't have seen that have come out. Sort of an uneven mix. I saw Tenet. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know the newer movies. I mean, I've kind of tried to see what I could. I. Where I really wanted to see a lot of movies was at the Lumiere Festival in Lyon, where I went with Falling. But unfortunately, because there was also sort of a retrospective thing that I was participating in, where they showed several movies that I'd worked on before. In addition to the Q and A's for Falling, I had to do those. So I didn't get to see. There were so many movies I wanted to see. There was even, you know, Red River, which is a western I really like a lot, and which I use in Falling. And one of the scenes that yeah. was a, a really good print of that was shown. But I, I guess mostly. The movies that have stood out for me are the ones I'd already seen that I've been watching again, you know. What are your favorite types? There's so many that I like, but uh, I mean, movies that stick out for me that I saw during the lockdown that I enjoyed seeing again were Agnes Varda's movies, some of Alain René's movie. Mm. I watched for the umpteenth time, you know, a couple of Carl Dreyer movies, in particular, The Passion of Joan of Arc, which I think is an amazing movie. Watched, uh, you know, Hiroshima Mon Amour. Yeah. I watched uh, A Very Special Day, in Italian it's called uh, Una Giornata Particolare, which is a Ettore Scola movie, which is beautiful. And during the, you know, it's funny how a movie can, or even the lyrics of a song, can suddenly take on a new meaning depending on the situation you're in. Pandemic Lockdown, if you've seen that movie by Scola that happens, it's called a, a special day. And it's a day, it's a movie that I think it came out in about 1977 or so. And it's a movie that stars Marcello Mastroianni and Sofia Loren. And it's a day in Rome when Hitler comes to visit Mussolini and there's these big parades. And the husband of Sofia Loren and all, all their kids are members of the fascist party. And so they all get dressed up in their black outfits and they go out. They're going to the parade while the wife is going to stay home and cook and sew and you know clean house. And opposite the courtyard of this building, it all takes place in this building. You never leave. So hence the sort of lockdown pandemic thing. They're kind of limited in their movement, both of them. Her for domestic reasons. And Marcello, the character he's playing, this journalist, this writer, who is on the verge, he knows, of being arrested, mm. you know or being a subversive and mainly probably for being homosexual. But you don't know any of this until you don't realize this until the end, but she just sees this man. She's sort of fascinated by this man across the way. They end up conversing and they end up spending some time together. It's, you know, it's a remarkable story. So that's one that I, that stands out for me. What was the first I, film you ever saw? The first movie, the first movie I remember really thinking about was with my mother. And I often went to uh, 
she took me to the movies a lot, which seemed normal to me, which I realized later wasn't what most moms did, not to those kinds of movies. But I remember being, for it wasn't the first one. The first time she took me to the cinema, I think I was three. But the first one that I remember the whole movie and I remember my conversation with her about was when I was four. And it was in a big, like 2000 plus seat old cinema in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And it was Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. And I remember so clearly watching that movie with her, front row, and at the break, speaking with her in the lobby about it. And the other thing that wasn't normal, I realized later, is that mothers would talk about story so much. So she was talking about what had been shown, what we didn't get to see, and what she could intuit. And what do you think about that? Do you realize that this is happening? And I'm just, I was four. I was like, but the one thing that perked me up, she said, well... I'm worried about the British military. They they claim that they're going to help Lawrence, but I have a feeling, I don't know that they're really going to help Lawrence and his Arab friends. And I had been fascinated by the camels. At that point, I had already learned how to ride a horse. And after the camels, that looks like a lot more difficult. And I was just thinking about riding camels, really. And, I, and when she said that, I perked up. I said, well, don't worry, Mom, because Lawrence and his friends, they know a lot more about camels and they know a lot more about the desert. I think they're going to be all right, which, in fact, basically is true. That's what happens in the second part of the, of the movie. So, you know, these kinds of conversations I had with her over the years about Argentine movies and about anything that was American or English that came through, especially things of a certain quality, we always would see them together and we would always have those kinds of conversations. As I got older, the conversations became more sophisticated. I remember seeing, you know, after that, Dr. Zhivago, Man for All Seasons, also some of the more lighter things, you know, the Mary Poppins and all these sounds of music, all these things. But, uh, but there were some very, you know, heavy duty movies that I saw with her at a very young age. And I mean, I remember... I don't know, 14, 15, I don't know how many years after seeing Lawrence of Arabia, calling her up and saying, you know, I'm coming home and for the weekend and I was away at university and I said, uh, there's a movie out now that we should go see, uh, The Deer Hunter. I think you might like it. It's one of those long movies like, they, like we used to see. And we went to see that. And our conversation afterwards was all, she was really at the end of it, really thinking about Chris, what we didn't get to see story-wise, how it had been put together. What do you think Chris Walken's character was doing in Saigon? I mean, that he got into that state, you know, by the end. And yeah, it was just that we had this, it was almost like two screenwriters sort of workshopping something. Or, wow. Or you know, and that was the, those were the things, the conversations I had. Well, in, in that case, Falling is a great tribute to her. And there's even a Deer Hunter moment in Falling uh, between uh, oh, father and son, in a way. They look at the deer, isn't there? So that's filtered in there somehow, Vigo. You see, we got you. I'm part of it, but you're right. <laughs> listen, it's been, I could talk to you all day about movies. We're only just warming up. But listen, Falling is a beautiful, beautiful film. I have a, a one or two. Boom, boom, boom. Listen, uh, you came up with, you did, you did Scala, you did Sophia Loren and, and the Deer Hunter and, and, and Dr. Zhivago and, and David Lean. Listen, this, that's, that's plenty to be getting on with. Uh, listen, I really enjoyed Falling. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. I love the music, everything that you did on there. Beautiful work from all of you. Congratulations on that. And please God, you can come to London one day soon again and travel and, and roam freely as I know you like to do, Vigo. I very much look forward to it and I hope we can meet again in, in person. Thank you for your time. Nice one, Vigo. Thanks a lot. And Falling is out in cinemas. Yes, cinemas from December the 4th, as well as on streaming platforms, including BFI Player. 
I went round to my mate James's the other night. He's in my bubble, so I think it's all right. Anyway, we sat on the sofa, opened a bottle of red wine, and watched a footy doc together. It was very sweet, wasn't it? Uh, strangely, it was, uh, you know, a footy film. You know I like my footy films, if you're a regular listener. And this was called Howard's Way, all about the great Everton team of the mid-1980s, assembled by the manager Howard Kendall, with players like Andy Gray, Peter Reid, Graham Sharp, Adrian Inchy Heath, and Big Neville Southall. Howard Kendall was introduced as Everton's new manager. And I have been appointed today to bring success to Everton Football Club. So his positive influence actually changed the way we played. Howard Kendall was tactically so aware. I had to run through a brick wall with him. That's what wins you league titles. Come on, bros. Yeah. You got the light at the end of the tunnel. Once you walk down that tunnel, it was like nothing else mattered. You were going in as a gladiator. It was very well done, actually, Howard's Way. And although we weirdly don't find out much about Howard Kendall himself, it's a very well-executed footy film about ageing, about being a fan, about moments that mark your life and the passing of time and the strange alchemy of great sides where careers and lives go after the highs of winning and becoming legendary in certain areas to certain people. I really didn't think that we'd watch it all, me and James on his sofa, neither of us are Everton fans, but we totally remembered that era, watching those goals, uh, be it on Match of the Day or the Cup Finals, uh, and we remembered them at the same time together. But we did watch it all, all of Howard's Way, and it was a real treat. Howard's Way is on Sky Documentaries. Okay, my next guest on the show is actress Ashley Medeque, who grew up in South London but now lives in Hollywood, where she's created an admirable career for herself in huge TV hits such as Umbrella Academy, Salem and Revenge. She's back on home turf, though, in impressive, tough British film County Lines, playing the mother of a troubled 14-year-old, Tyler, who's recruited from his school by a local drug dealer to run the drugs out to places out of town an experience which changes both mother and son's lives dramatically. Where have you been? Where were you last night? Ashley's really good, heartbreaking as Tony, the mum in County Lines. It's an excellent performance in a really powerful film set in some pretty grim locations, which rather contrast with the sunny LA lifestyle Ashley herself can project on places like Instagram, for example. So I zoomed her as the sun came into her beautiful house and found out more. It looks so nice there. It is sunny here, yeah. <laughs> We're having a little mini winter heat wave. It will get cold. It's not as cold as here anyway. And, and anyway it won't be as cold as there. No, exactly. Anyway, I was checking out your Instagram. It just is so sunny and lovely. 
out there and so yeah. I feel for you but I mean I, I, it was only because the huge kind of contrast between that and County Lines which you're fabulous in in fact everyone's fantastic in it but it whacks you, you over the head that is a harsh movie yeah. compared to your Instagram feed <laughs> <laughs> it really is I mean I mean that in, in, in the best way it should be you know what I mean it's a very tough yeah, story yeah it should be it is and I want that like I want contrast in my life and Instagram is like a highlight reel it's everyone's best moments of course and the, the, the point about County Lines is that it's I suppose it's the worst outcome do you know what I mean it, it kind of plays with all our fears you know it's shot it seemed to be shot in some places I know that we go to, you know, that I go to with my kid at Market Road Sports, sports pitches. I'm just bringing you back to cold London now. And it made me, it made me fearful, you know, what, you know, how delicate and fragile some of these lines are. Yeah, absolutely. I think Henry did a really good job of kind of putting it in your face, how easy it could be for it to be your kid, anyone's kid, especially that kind of brutal moment at the end where Tony gives the money back to Simon. Harris Dickinson's character and she you know ostensibly is is in the clear now but she looks and she sees he's got an even younger kid in the car and there's nothing she can do that was heartbreaking wasn't it and, and he was li- yeah. little man he calls him and he was he was yeah. little little man did you know much about it I know because Henry the director worked in that youth system it was very much based on stories he'd heard H- how did you get involved and, and, and did he speak to you about researching the reality of it I was aware of the issue of county lines loosely you know I still keep up with the news in England but um, I guess it wasn't at the forefront of my my knowledge and my mind. And then my first entree into the film was reading the script that was sent to me by my British agent and I loved it. I immediately had like a visceral reaction to it. And then speaking to Henry, he's so connected to the subject matter and he has a real emotional connection as well because it's all personal experience for him. So he was a great resource for me. And then, yeah, we researched it and we always looked for the truth in the situation and just tried to to do it justice. When you have those those moments you know that, that you get to the truth and it's right there you're you know you you, you have to kind of live it as your as the mum you know playing this mm. you know this 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 woman who's had such a hard time I mean it must have been you know it must be very difficult to put yourself in that in in, in that situation or do you find you know that you could actually relate to it quite easily I recognize Tony I recognized her from women I, I've known in my life and grown up around. There were elements of my own mother in Tony that I recognized, the kind of mix of almost like a vulnerability, but also a ferociousness that I see in my mother being like a working class woman growing up in London. And so, yeah, I tapped, I tapped into that. It was a world that I comfortably knew, that I haven't been in for a while, but that it's very easy for me to go back to. Tony, we are going round in circles. You're not listening. This is bullshit. It's your job to engage him. But we can't force him. Yes, you can. No, we can't. Well, are you going to punish him for what he did then? I don't think punishing him is the right course of action to take. Oh, I suppose that's my job, is it? Actually, yeah, it is. He is just... I'm trying. Have you tried talking to him? Oh, his mum, he doesn't talk to me. Tony, what... Lawrence, you know what he's like. He's always just been a very quiet kid. During every lesson, he just stares out the window, actively refusing to do any work. And when he does say something, he's either being offensive or he's winding up the other boys. Look, the bottom line is, my son is being bullied and you are doing nothing about it. 
Do you think that the stuff you've been doing in Hollywood, like Umbrella Academy, for example, it's so far away from British gritty social realism. Do do you think that when you come back to play a part like that, which, you know, it's been a while since you've since you've probably, you know, been in that situation or felt that situation. Did you feel that you're equipped now because of all the sort of, you know, major studio kind of big budget work you do to come back to something like that? What's it like as an actress? I think that it's there is room for both for all of them. Um, And, you know, you want to play as many different parts as possible possible I certainly do for whatever the challenges were in shooting county lines they only enhanced my experience in a way you felt like you were all in we were all in that tiny council flat which was it was pretty dire I thought it was a set because you know the camera was so locked off in the in the in the shot between the the living room and the kitchen you know and it often kind of framed it just happened to it happened to be set up that way like the two rooms were next to each other and Henry knew that going in and he spoke to us about the fact that he wanted to lock it off and kind of try and play it in one in one take do you think that that Doing the, doing the move that you've done, going to Hollywood, kind of being in these uh, amazing, you know, big big productions, has improved you as an actress. Yeah, I think being here has enhanced my my acting. But I think that would have happened anywhere. It's just the more you do something, the better you can get at it. Listen, there's a lot to love about Los Angeles and America in general. There's a real like can do spirit, and there's definitely loads of things being made. It feels like the golden era of television. So I am, you know, I'm pleased to be here, but. I wanted to go home and then County Lines gave me the perfect opportunity. Yeah, it's really, you know, it was it was fantastic to see you in it and really stretching out and a great role for you. And I thought you brought a lot of, you know, a lot of love to it and a lot of you know, a real uh, nuance to it. So I hope it does really Thank good, you. really good things for you, Ashley. What about watching, uh, Ashley Medekwe? Have you seen anything good lately? We've just started watching The Queen's Gambit with two episodes in, me and my husband. It's hard for us to find shows we want to watch together, but that, for some reason, has, um, it's got us. That's, really the, like, that's the lockdown hit of the world is watching at this very moment. Last lockdown, it was everyone I spoke to was, oh, we're all watching the the Tiger the Tiger King. Oh, the Tiger King. At the same time. I did enjoy that. Well, the thing about the Tiger King is I had just listened to the, I love podcasts, and I had just listened to the, the podcast of it. So it was hard for me to like, I knew what was going on, but it was great to see what those people looked like in real life. I had not even come close to it when I was imagining it. <laughs> Don't think you with that hair is unique. That hair is unique. <laughs> and do you, do you have a, you got a big, you got a massive telly? No, I wouldn't say it's massive. It's, it's big, but it's not massive. Not like Here that. we have a TV in the bedroom, but which we'd never had before. But now I'm never going to go back. I mean, sorry, luck. The watching TV in bed is one of the great. Really, great I've luxuries. never done it. I don't even do oh, it. I, in, I don't it. even do it in hotels. I only did it in this house, and it's, oh, it's a gift. I really? highly recommend it. Okay, yeah. that's so you've arrived. Now that's luxury. That's Hollywood style watching TV in bed. Yeah. Americans tend TV to watch in TV bed. in bed a lot. I don't know what it is. Oh, so cozy. <laughs> <laughs> so cozy. Have you haven't got one that pops up out the bottom of the bed? No, I haven't. It is just hanging on the wall. I mean, it would be, I guess, classier to hide it away, but mine is just it's on the wall. Just for all there, to see. and it's like. A flip. So what's the what's the bedtime watching then? I like Keep a bit it of clean. CNN. And, right. My husband's asleep by then, but I like a bit of CNN. I like to see what Don Lemon's saying. Yeah, I, and it's completely partisan. I I don't care. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, exactly. Well, before you go to bed, you don't want to hear. You don't want to. <laughs> Yeah, before I go to bed, I want to be soothed with some partisan rhetoric, and I love Don Lemon for it. So that's kept you going throughout this election. You know, he's become a a massive star here too. People have been watching him. Uh, Queen's Gambit. Anything else? Have you been watching any movies? You know what? I I haven't watched many movies in in this period. I think cinemas aren't aren't open here at all. So you know, we're coming up to I don't know how many months now since March, and I don't really enjoy 
the movie experience at home as much. I get distracted too easily. It's interesting, it's isn't it? It's not the it's just not the same. I, I I struggle with it too. Everyone's like, oh great, we can do loads of lockdown movies, and I I, I have a problem. It's a problem. It's not my the job, same. But... I'll watch old movies, movies I'm familiar with on TV. But other than that, no, I don't want to watch new movies on TV. Now you're waiting. There's a, there's gonna be, you've got a busy time when the cinemas reopen. You'll be like, you know, yeah, I want to see. I want to. I want to see Tenant. I want to see uh, Riz Ahmed's new film, which I oh. think I'm, I'm probably going to have to see that digitally. Mogul Mogul. I think yeah, I thought I really it was terrific. I thought it was great oh, stuff. Can't wait. Yeah, definitely. I think you'll need to get your BFI player sort of uh, yeah, up there. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll put that on my TV. Yeah. An app. There yeah, must I, be a way. I thought it was great. He raps in there as well. And not Vanilla Ice, I can tell you as well. Right, Riz, is a, Riz is a talented rapper. He's very good indeed, yeah. What about the first film you ever saw, Ashley? Do you remember what that was? I don't know if I know what the first film I ever saw is, but I remember the first film that was like a non-animation that I loved and watched on repeat and I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> which was the return to Oz. I we borrowed it from my local video store and it was time to take it back. I loved it so much that I put a different a different tape in the box and I kept it for years. I didn't I didn't admit that till recently with my dad. He was like they asked for it and I was like, "I oh, know, I returned it." What did you put <laughs> I in there? Stole it. I just I can't remember some <laughs> some some animation rubbish that I didn't <laughs> think I needed anymore that I'd moved on to real narrative drama like Return to Oz. <laughs> I, I, I don't know Return to Oz. I didn't even know there was a Return to Oz. Okay, it's it is now iconic, but at the time it was. A, I think it bombed. It didn't make any money for Disney, but it was great. It's so much darker than the Wizard of Oz. There's no music in it. Oh, it's ter- it's kind of terrifying as well. There's a witch in it called Mombi who um, she has heads of different women that she's decapitated and she puts them on. Terrifying, no, for children, but I was fascinated. So this is quite, it's not, it, it was quite a recent, but in terms of like your childhood remake time, it wasn't like a, a follow-up sequel. Let me, let's see. It was a follow-up sequel, but let's see when it happened. Return to Oz. I love the suspense, this live Googling. First of all, it only got 53, 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is crazy to me. Um, 1985. That's perfect for you. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. It was so good. I knew that. I know so the whiz. Good. I knew the whiz. That's what I grew up watching. Michael Jackson, Diana Ross doing The Wiz. Loved that. But the return to I Oz. I know The Wiz. Return mm. to Oz. With, um, her name is Ferruzia Bolk. Oh, well, she yes. She plays who, Dorothy Gale. Yeah, okay, and she was on. in The Craft exactly. years later. Exactly. Which they just remade, actually. Yes, she was in The Craft. Okay, so Ferruzia Bolk was that. She was a, a, a young star in that, was she? Yeah. Very good. Good shout, Return to Oz. And then no one's ever come up with that before. Like, that's yours. That's your little precious secret that you've nicked as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Instead of paying 300, it used to be like 300 quid if you nicked a, a video. Do you know what I mean? The, the fines yeah. were enormous. They, well, they also went down. That that company eventually closed down because it, it wasn't like a blockbuster. It was like a local one. Maybe I was there down for uh, yeah, You know what? If they had your 300 <laughs> quid, you could have saved the, saved the video store. <laughs> There's a film in there somewhere. What about a film that that changed your life? That obviously that that impacted you greatly. But there must have been a film that you that you had a light bulb moment, or that a penny dropped somewhere. So a film that I made that isn't the film. It did change my life, but we watched a film during it. It was a film when I was a kid called Storm Damage that we made. Um, I think I was fifteen, maybe younger. And Lenny James wrote it, and it was set in in Brixton, um, in this this foster home, and. 
so that changed my life because I worked with like phenomenal actors like Lenny himself, Adrian Lester, Mona Hammond. Like, so it was life-changing in that respect. And then the director had us all sit and watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which I had never seen before. And there was just something about sitting in this church hall watching it on this kind of semi-big screen like when they wheel the TV in and just being, I don't know, wowed by the performances and also also being really affected by the injustice at the end. I think before that, maybe I'd only seen films with happy endings or thought about films with happy mm. endings, but like the end of that film is like, it's very gutting. Yes. And there's, a, I, I presume he showed it to you because of the, the institution and the group dynamic that was in there. I haven't seen Storm Damage, I don't know, but I know Lenny's work obviously. I guess... Her. I guess it was that, was that, I don't know why. I don't know why. I'd love to ask him. The director was Simon Kellen Jones. Oh, yes. Yeah. Who was a great, yeah, great filmmaker. He yeah. made, he made a, a film called Some Voices, which I've always loved yeah. as well with Daniel Craig and Kelly McDonald. Yes, Simon Kellen Jones. Yeah. I didn't know you were, I didn't know you were in that. That was, was that one of your first jobs? Like as a. That was, Storm Damage was my actual first job. Wow. First thing I ever did professionally. So that's And two... I love being at work so much that I would, go to work on my days off wow that's too like life-changing you know it was your first job but yeah uh, and then therein was a life-changing moment and but that's what that's what i mean but those are exactly moments you remember them they they change the way you look at the world they change the way you see your yeah. craft uh, amazing yeah. amazing stories what about a film that uh that you wish you'd been in a classic film that you wish uh, that you were working that you were around that you would have gone up for that you could have been in <laughs> The, the well the kid in me loved musicals so any musical like i would watch the like grease on repeat and wish i was in that but then the who would the you been in, who would you have been in grease oh sandy there's no other role i mean that's not true now i think i'd want to play rizzo yes but at the time I... as a young girl everyone wants to play sandy sure i see you as rizzo now now i look back at like films like an imitation of life and i really like i'd love them to remake that now with a woman of color playing <laughs> Playing that part, that would that would be great. I think Carmen that Jones. There's so many films that could be reinterpreted, like through the through the prism of color, a really interesting, you know, way. Or you could yeah. gender flip them as well. But color flipping them would be a fascinating thing, and imitation of life would be would be gorgeous. And the, the Todd Haynes sort of version of that, Far from Heaven, which I always love with Dennis Haysbert. I've never yeah. seen that. I'm going to watch that. There we go. To see you recommending me Return to Oz, I can I can raise you one and go to go from Far from Heaven as one to watch it in bed. Is a beautiful one to watch in bed. Yours has probably held up better than Return to Oz. <laughs> <laughs> who was the Who was the actor or actress that influenced you most? I mean, either physically or or, or iconographically. I think that um, you know you can't ever overstate the importance of representation and seeing yourself represented in film and TV. So for me, that would be Sophie Okonedo. Um, I was aware of her when I was auditioning for drama schools and, you know, Hotel Rwanda, she's so great in. She's just like an all-round phenomenal actress. I've always looked to her and her career as a source of inspiration. And she does some amazing work on stage, um, you know, that has been amazing. I saw her recently, well, not recently, probably a few years ago now, uh, the Edward Albee play that she did in the West End that my cousin was in. So I was so jealous. Who's your cousin? Archie Medecqui. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> I saw I saw that and I thought, I wonder, he's not your brother or his cousin. The Medecqui dynasty. 
Mm-hmm. That's what we're up. hoping for. <laughs> you, only need, you, only need, you only need two to be a dynasty, That's right? That's true, I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, it's been fantastic catching up with you. A real pleasure. It's been great uh, seeing you work in, in County Lines. Uh, and Thank you. Know, you. Uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm thrilled for you that it's so, you know, that you're in um, those massive shows like Umbrella Academy. And uh, I mean, they are, you can't imagine how big those things are on Netflix. I mean, you can imagine, I'm sure. Okay. Do you, uh, did you that feel was, it? It was, we, uh, I did not I didn't. It was a real, you know, because my, I won't ruin it for people who haven't seen it, but my, my commitment in the show was very finite so I it was it's kind of um there's something special about signing on to a tv show and not and knowing that you haven't had to be there for seven years there's kind of a freedom in that so I went into the job with that freedom and loved it more than I ever could have imagined and I, I got to work with Mary J Blige like she that's iconic Mary J Blige that is that... Who I always refer to her as her full name yeah or, yeah you can't just call her Mary J or Mary you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so respect Mary J Blige it was really lovely to catch up with you actually Pendek Quay brilliant work in County Lines and uh, thank you, you know, so much keep it sunny and come back soon I would love to Thank you. And County Lines, directed by Henry Blake and starring Ashley Medekwe and Harris Dickinson, among others, is out in cinemas and streaming platforms from December the 4th. Really do look out for it. Well, I thought brilliant stuff from my two guests today. Thanks, Vigo Mortensen and Ashley Medekwe. There's just time to tell you of a couple of films I caught up with. One was Hungover Sunday Afternoon Viewing on Netflix. Life of the Party, it was called. My wife found this one. Uh, And it stars Melissa McCarthy as a mum who goes back to college where her daughter is studying. It was it was rubbish, but you know it was really quite good actually, quite funny. It suited the mood perfectly. And talking of which, while the whole world seemed to be watching The Apartment uh, on BBC Two, it got Billy Wilder's film with Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine trending on Twitter. So after my love the other week for Easter Parade, which I shared with you, someone on BBC Two is smashing it with a classic matinee movie weekend programming. Uh, extraordinary stuff. Introducing classic movies, old movies. To to new generations, surely. But while The Apartment was trending, it reminded me that I needed to watch Billy Wilder's Fedora, a much more forgotten film of Billy Wilder's, in preparation for talking to author Jonathan Coe, whose new book is called Mr. Wilder and Me, and is about the shooting of Fedora. Well, Fedora itself is a camp, elegant, intriguing curio of a film shot late Billy Wilder 77 uh, about an aging actress it's got shade of Sunset Boulevard here I guess particularly as it starts with a corpse and with William Holden doing the narration but it's set in Greece uh, it's quite bonkers <laughs> and it's always beautiful though always elegant uh, and very well done uh, and quite funny in places too uh, look, Jonathan Coe uh, the author who you know from what a carve up and Rotters Club and Middle England. He's going to be on the show next week. So do stream yourself Fedora if you want to prepare. You can find it on Amazon and get it free with a trial for Mubi. Um, You don't have to, but it might help watching it as it does help when you're reading the book to know the film. The book's terrific, by the way, even if you don't know the film. So there's some homework, rather pleasurable homework, I hope. Uh, Just one of your many tips from this week's seen anything good lately. Let's go out with a bit of Mary J. Blige as a request for my guest, Ashley Medekwe, who loves I'm Going Down. It's originally by Rose Royce and featured in the film Car Wash. Don't you know? No, you probably didn't. See ya. I'm going down. 